0: Because the Bible is a historical document and it's accurate and um, it's backed up by archaeology many, many times. So I'd like to read to you the account again of the Battle of Jericho. Because I think there are some principles there that we can talk about dealing with as we look at the ministry of intercessory prayer or, or intercession. So if you'd like turn your Bibles or I've got it up here for you again, uh, we can read it together here in Joshua chapter 6 verses 1 to 20. Now let me just set this up for you first of all, okay? That if you remember right, the, the, uh, the, the Hebrews, they, um, they rebelled against God in the wilderness. And so God punished them by they had to stay in the wilderness for like 40 years. They weren't allowed to go. Into the Promised Land, the land that He had promised them, uh, because of the uh, the faithlessness, they didn't believe God was going to help them to defeat the Canaanites, and so God said, "Well, since you don't trust me, believe me, you'll have to you'll have to stay in the wilderness for forty years." So the forty years has now passed, and Israel has, and we won't take time to look, talk about all the miracles that have happened, but they they crossed the the Jordan River just like they did the Red Sea. God parted the Jordan, and the entire nation crossed. Uh, they went across the Jordan River on dry ground during flood stage. So that was a real miracle. The people uh, in Jericho heard about that. The people in Jericho, the Canaanite city, the pagan city of Jericho that was very wicked, very wicked city. They heard about that and they had heard also about the, uh, uh, how the Hebrews had defeated some of the major armies on the other side of the Jordan River. So God's reputation was, was going ahead of him. They knew that God was with these, these Hebrews, that there was a special God with them. And uh, again, they'd heard all the way back about to the dead to the Red Sea with that parting of that. So they were they were afraid the the Canaanite people they the, the various ones they were afraid of the Hebrews because they knew that they were a powerful a powerful people. So here they are they they cross the uh, the, the, the Jordan River and uh, the very first city that they're going to attack to they're going to conquer is Jericho. And it is a major fortress, major fortress, we're going to look into more of the details of it later, but it's a major fortress. And God said, this first attack will be, uh, I want you to burn the city down, but this will be an offering to me. This is you, you. dedicate this to me as as saying that we're trusting God to be with us in our plans as we over as we conquer the land and possess the land like God had promised to Abraham about 430 years earlier or 450 years earlier. So uh, here they are. Um, they they're now standing. You know, just they're they're camped. A few uh, hundred yards away from the city of Jericho. now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out, and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, "See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men, and do this for six days. Have a seven." priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark and on the seventh day march around the city seven times with the priest blowing the trumpets and when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets or the ram's horns have the whole army give a loud shout and then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up and everyone straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. And when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. Then uh, the the armed guard marched ahead of the priest who blew the trumpets and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city circling at once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. On the seventh day they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner except on that day they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around when the priest sounded the trumpet blast Joshua commanded the army shout for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared, because she hid the spies that we sent. But keep away from the devoted things, so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them, otherwise you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. And when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged in, straight in, and took the city. Well, what an amazing account here. And uh, this uh, event that God had planned for uh, actually to bring about the nation of Israel to establish them in that land and to eventually bring the Messiah and then bring us salvation. Amen. You know, the, the nature of intercession, I want to talk to you, first of all, about some basics about intercession, that, that we've got to remember that the nature of intercession, and remember, intercession is standing in the gap for somebody who doesn't know the Lord, or who needs God's grace. You're standing in the gap, you're standing between God and someone else, and you're trying to set up a meeting through prayer, you're setting up a meeting and say, God, would you please visit the person who is in need, whether they need salvation or healing or whatever the situation is, God would you please meet with them? Would you fall upon them? Would you encounter them? Would you bring your power to them that that they that they would have an experience with you? That's what intercession is all about. But we need to realize that it's specific. Intercession is specific. It's not a general type of praying. It's it's specific. One of the many things that I had to learn about being married was not... Uh, Trying to fix Becky's troubles and trials all the time, because I did. Uh, You know, you're inexperienced in how you how you have relationships and marriage, and I. And a lot of times when she would bring me some issue, some trouble, I I tended to be analytical. (laughs) When uh, you know, and that's why I am. I I tend to be that way. I tend to say, "Well, here's the problem, uh, here's the solution, and here's how we here's how we fix it. Um, Problem solved, right?" Well, I learned at least in marriage. Becky sometimes didn't want me to fix her; uh, she just wanted me to listen to her without any kind of analysis. And uh, there's, uh, you know, there, there's often uh, help that comes to us in sharing. A lot of times, we don't need to fix people's problems; they just need to tell us about them. It's amazing how the Bible talks about that—how we should share each other's burdens, and in the sharing alone, comes grace and healing. It's not that you have to have all the ideas and have all the answers. It's a lot of times just in the sharing of your burdens, God's grace works. And, uh, and I, we had, I had, to learn, had to learn that, you know. Um, a lot of times the help comes just in the sharing. She was right. Um, you know, she's not just all emotion. She's analytical too. But she fixes problems just a little bit differently than the way I do things. But that's, that's, that's okay. We, we all are called upon to fix problems. All of us are. Aren't, are we? And sometimes we're called upon to help fix problems of other people. And that's where intercession comes into play, where we're, we're called to help other people with their problems that are impossible, that only God can help them with. Um, these people, God has put them in our lives, and we're going to see how that's really crucial that God has done that on, on, on purpose. John Wesley said this, he said, God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. That's quite a thought. And I've got to tell you, I'm still thinking about that. I'm still thinking about it. I, John Wesley, he, he's, a lot, he's a lot more spiritually mature than I than, than I am. And, and uh, you know, he lived, uh, he, God used him in a mighty way back in the 1700s. And uh, uh, he said, God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. So I, I'm really trying to let that sink into my, to my soul. I think uh, we could say it this way, that without our intercession, people face hopelessness. Without our intercession, people face hopelessness. Intercession is really important. Praying for other people is really, really important. Um, many times, the problems uh, that people have are not easy, if you will, stains to remove. And I've watched Becky sometimes take, uh, take some really special effort and use different kinds of cleaners with several washings to remove some stains from a favorite blouse or a dress or, you know, or something like that, where, you know, I didn't know any of that stuff. I just thought you throw it in a washing machine and it, it should be clean, right? But she said, well, no, we've got to take some special effort to get some of these stains out, you know. So I've learned a lot since I've been married. Uh, you know, I've learned a lot about laundry and so, all that kind of thing. Um, but uh, it's the same with intercessory prayer, uh, really. It is. Uh, um, it's very, very very, very, you know, similar to that, uh, people uh, need, uh, well, they, they, they sometimes have these, these pretty significant mountains in their lives that are keeping them from experiencing the eternal life, the, 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 the will of God in their lives. And they, they just seem to be sitting, uh, uh, doing nothing, uh, going nowhere, uh, as this mountain stops them from knowing God. And they need us to, uh, to, in prayer to work on their stains, if you will, or to try to move some of their mountains. And Jesus talked about how prayer can move mountains. And he's not talking about physical mountains, of course. He's talking about mountains in people's lives that block them from receiving God's grace and block them from receiving God's life. We saw last Sunday how Abraham uh, interceded, how he stood in the gap Remember there in the book of Genesis how he stood in the gap for, for Lot, his nephew Lot, and also for the, for the city of uh, Sodom and the, uh, all, those, all those surrounding towns as well. Intercession, though, is, remember, is not just an Old Testament concept because the Apostle Paul talks about it too in Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. He says that Epaphras, he said, uh, is always wrestling in prayer for the people in the, at their church at Colossae that they may stand in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. So we see that intercession is an Old Testament function as well as a New Testament thing. So that's um, something that we need to really understand. I think one of the problems that we have in our prayer life, loved ones, is this, is that we try to cover too much. We try to cover too much. We try, to, we try to do too much in our prayers. Again, prayer is a learning activity. And the activity of intercession is kind of like a diamond. It has several different sides, beautiful sides. I think Dr. Busick, uh, David Busick, our, our uh, general superintendent, has a really neat definition of intercession that can be helpful to us. And this is what he says really really neat de- definition. He says this, intercession is specifically praying for those God has providentially placed in our circle of relationships and our sphere of influence. That is really good. That is a really good guide for you in your prayer, in, your, in practicing prayer. That intercession is is specifically praying for those God has providentially placed in our circle of relationships, and our sphere of influence. Those those three um, three words there. There's three words, and one, one's one's a phrase there that I think can really be helpful to us. And uh, it's these. It's intercessionary prayer is specific, and who do we pray for? For those whom God has providentially placed in your life, in your circle of friends or your circle, your, 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 your family, in your relationships. So, you know, sometimes we, uh, people, they tend to pray, try to pray for the whole world in a general way, but they don't pray for their son. They don't pray for their daughter specifically. They, specifically. they don't stop and think, Lord, what is it that I really want you to do for them? What is it, Lord, I really want you to do for my lost son? What is it I want you to do for them? Have I, you know, I I don't take time. to I'd say, oh, yeah, I want you to get them to heaven. Well, yeah, uh, we need prayer. We we need to get specific and thinking, God, what is it that you need to do in their life to reach them? Intercession's that way. It's specific. And again, just look for the people God's put in your life. You know, your, you know, your circle of friends, your family, and, and, and your, your spirit of, influ- uh, of influence, people who you, you talk to, people who are friends with you, people who respect you. The, the nature of intercession, loved ones, is not vague, it's not general, but rather it's specific. For instance, you might, you, you might pray, Lord, bless all the children of the world today. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with praying that way. Lord, bless all the children in the world today. That's that's a kind thought to be sure. And But let me tell you something. It's not intercession. Praying that, Lord, would you bless all the children today. That's not intercession. That's not intercessory prayer. Um, intercession is focused on particulars, not generalities. Not generalities. There, it's focused on... Uh, You know, details. Details are the name of the game when it comes to setting up meetings with God for other people. What is exactly is it that you're wanting God to do in the life of the person you're setting up the meeting with? What do you want Him to do? I think that if... uh, We're not used to praying that way. And that takes some practice learning to do it. And and that's why since we're not used to doing that, we shouldn't try to make our prayers too broad and trying to cover the whole world and you should just look at the people God has put in your life and say, man, they have some needs and I need to be praying for them. Again, it's not wrong to pray for the missionaries all over the world, but it'd be better to know a few missionaries by, who by, by name, be able to see them, you know, their pictures and be able to pray specifically for needs that they have. Hope you're getting the idea here of what really intercessory prayer is. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says some neat things here. He has a, he has a good idea. He was a, he was a German uh, theologian that Hitler killed back in uh, World War II. But he said, it is clear that intercessory prayer is not general and vague, but very concrete, a matter of definite, and by definite he means specific, A a matter of definite persons and definite difficulties and therefore definite petitions. The more definite my intercession becomes, the more promising it is. Yeah. You know, God wants us to learn to think. He wants us to think. Isn't that a joy to you when you have children and they learn to think? Well, you're not doing their thinking for them all the time. It sure is a, It's a blessing. And when they become adults, to see them thinking through concepts and, and th- th- thinking through issues and problems and things, that is really a, a great blessing when they've learned to think. God wants us to learn to think, too. And intercessory prayer is a thinking activity where We just lay ourselves open before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm praying. I want to pray the right things for my daughter. I want to pray the right things for her. What is it that I should pray? I'm going to just let you lead me. I'm going to let you guide me today in how I should pray for my daughter. And you'll be amazed how ideas will come to your mind things that you didn't even think about before. Where it's not just general, you know, bless my daughter, Lord, today. No, you're taking time today to pray for this specific daughter. Now, tomorrow you might, you might have 10 kids, so you might have to, you may not cover all of them today, but you got tomorrow that you can cover another one. You know what I mean? God wants us to learn how to be intercessors. Amen. Intercession, again, is interested in specific persons specific difficulties, therefore specific requests. And the more you learn to become specific in your requests, the more promising it becomes, Dietrich says. You know, that's how the Holy Spirit is going to help you to mature in prayer, to uh, see people, see their real needs, um, the good as well as the not so good. And love requires us to carry the burden of people in our hearts for whom we pray. So it's easier to pray for those we know than it is for a stranger. We know the details of their lives and the struggles and the vagueness disappears then. And we can be specific with the Lord for our family and friends. So, so who has God brought into your life providentially? Who has He brought into your life? Who's within your circle of relationships, your, your family, your friends? Those are the ones... God most likely is giving you opportunity to intercede for. Those are the ones. Let's look at another point here. That faith I should say intercession is not only specific but look at this. Intercession faith and prayer fit hand in glove. Faith and prayer fit hand in glove. Um, uh, The negative aspect of this would be that faith is weakened by a neglect of prayer. That if you neglect prayer your faith in the Lord is weakened. That's why prayer is so so crucial. That's why Jesus said we should always pray and not give give up. Amen? Um, Jesus, he oftentimes talked about the necessity of the personal possession of faith. He talked about that. The personal possession of faith. Everyone should have faith. Not just this mental idea that there's a God, but something more than that. That's important, that's, that's, that's the beginning, but a faith that not only believes there's a God, but is willing to surrender to God, willing to submit to God and say, Lord, I repent of my sins and I, I'm, I'm willing to obey you, I'm willing to love you, please forgive me. That's the kind of faith Jesus is talking about, that he, everyone, is important that they possess that kind of living faith. If we are going to abide in his kingdom, in his sphere of activity, you know, I want to be in God's activity. I want to see what, I, I want to be a part of what he's doing, not just kind of humming along, singing a song, and just like, you know, being kind of a fruitcake. I, 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 I want to know what the Lord's doing in my sphere, in, where, in my life, in the, in the life of, lives of people that I influence. I, I, I want to be a help to them, I want to be a help to the Lord. There was one place in Matthew chapter 17 and there's also this same account is is recorded in Mark chapter 9. We're going to look at both of them. But there's a place in Matthew 17 where the disciples were unable to cast out a demon. Jesus was up on the mountain and uh, with Peter, James, and John. And they, they had experienced, uh, he would, had been transfigured. He, had, he was like uh, shining like the sun. And, and there was just amazing things happened there. When they came down off, off the mountain, uh, the other uh, nine disciples, they were struggling. They said they couldn't cast out this demon. There was a demon in this boy and they couldn't get the demon to leave. And uh, so Jesus had to deal with that um, they couldn't under, they couldn't understand it either they said you wouldn't understand this because a, a few months earlier Lord in, Ma, in Matthew chapter 10 we, we were casting out demons left, left and right that's what they, you, know, they, you know we were casting out demons you sent us out two by two to go throughout the land of Israel and we were casting out demons we were healing people and everything and now here's this demon we can't we can't cast him out well we don't know what the trouble is so Jesus he he Proceeded to cast the the demon out. And we read this in Matthew, I think I got it up here, yeah. Matthew 17 verses 19 to 21. Let me read it with you. "Then Then the disciples, they came to Jesus privately and they said, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Interesting in Matthew chapter 9, uh, excuse me, in Mark chapter 9, Ma- Matthew here in, in chapter 17 talks about Jesus, they, they quote Jesus talking about faith. In Mark chapter 9, Mark records him talking about prayer in the same incident, the same incident. Jesus, he informed the disciples that it's not the size of your faith that matters. Don't worry about the size of your faith, that's not what matters. It's not the quantity of faith. It's the quality. It's the quality of faith. That if you have faith that is as genuine as a mustard seed is genuine. A a mustard seed is a really small seed. And it's genuinely a mustard seed. It's a mustard seed through and through. It's not very big. But it's a mustard seed. And when it is activated, it grows really into something fruitful. Big. Big. Jesus is saying that same thing about faith. He said, when you have the genuine thing, when you have a genuine faith, when you have a faith that's in me, that is alive and is growing and increasing, it will be fruitful. You will have a power. You will, you will see things happen in your life. You will see God doing things in your life. What is this Faith. Hebrew writer tells us this, that faith, faith believes God is real and rewards those who seek Him. So genuine faith begins in your head, of course, that He's real, but must move into every fiber of your spiritual heart that affects you so much that your will to repent, you you want to repent of your rebellion against God and you're willing to surrender your life to Him and follow Him and obey Him because you know He rewards that. You know that the people who surrender to God, you know He's going to reward you for surrendering to Him. What kind of reward? Well, there's eternal life, there's fellowship with Him, and all kinds of riches of His kingdom. But this incident of the demonized boy, the disciples couldn't heal, again, is in Mark 9. And there, Mark gives us this this information. Jesus said that this kind comes out by prayer. In other words, He's saying this. Faith... And prayer go hand in hand. That if you neglect prayer, your faith is going to suffer. Your faith is going to get weak. Really, that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, and if you have faith, you're going to pray. You're going to pray. They they go hand in hand. So apparently, you know, uh, you know these disciples. Well, it's, it's kind of like faith. Um, uh, you know. Uh, Prayer is this, it's this spiritual tool that bolsters our faith. That's what prayer is. Um, Becky has a set of kitchen knives uh, she uses a lot. And eventually, these knives, as you ladies know, the more you use them, they, they tend to become dull and will hardly cut through butter, at least hers will. It's like, well, they really are dull. And so, she looks at me longingly and asks me to please sharpen her knives, and there's several, so it, it's a little bit of an, an event. <laughs> it's an episode. And so, uh, sometimes I, you know, I'm, I know she wants knives sharpened, so I quickly go to the garage. You know, no, no, I, I, I don't do that. But she, um, it's just, she'll, she'll say, would you please sharpen these knives? So, um, I I get out my honing stones. I get out my honing stones and I put each knife, uh, both edges, through a grinding session in order to restore the sharp edge. You know, when I first start putting those knives on that, that stone, you can hear it just raking. I mean, it just really... I'm raking off a lot of... I'm raking off some steel. And... The more I do it, then I go to another stone and it gets smoother and then it starts gliding because I've taken off all of the, all the material that is inhibiting a sharp knife. You know? And that's, what, that's how prayer works with faith. When, when you begin praying, you put yourself in an environment where God can speak to you. And it just sharpens your faith. All of a sudden your faith becomes alive and so faith and prayer, loved ones, they go hand in hand. And so what had happened in Mark 9, the disciples, even though they'd asked Jesus to teach them to pray, they'd been neglecting prayer somehow. They, the prayer was lacking in, in their life, and it was reflected in their inability to, to uh, cast out this demon that was in this little boy. So Jesus, Jesus uh, took care of it because Jesus had not neglected prayer. We, we remember that Jesus, uh, for Jesus, prayer was the labor. Remember, he, that was the labor and ministry was the reward. For Jesus, prayer was the study and the hard work and ministry was the diploma. So Jesus immediately just casts out the demon because he was all prayed up. Um, Jesus encourages us to always pray again and not give up. Fixing spiritual problems through prayerful intercession requires something else as well. That not only must we be specific and not only must we not neglect prayer, but intercession requires perseverance. We don't just pray once, but we continue to bring before God the needs of the person we're praying for. And not that God, we know know God heard us. No, he heard us the very first time. A lot of times we'll just bring it before the Lord again and say, Lord, this is what's going on in their life now. And uh, uh, we're praying, uh, I know you've got a plan for them. And it may, be even, it may even erupt into praise, saying, God, I know that you're going to do something. I know you're going to meet them pretty soon. I know you're going to work in their life soon. Something's going to happen in their life. I'm trusting you. So sometimes faith takes on an avenue of praise like, like that. Um, intercession, again, requires... Perseverance. And I'd like to close with this. I'd like to close our time together with an, with an analogy to intercession. And I think um, you know we, we can find um, in the Old Testament account of the Battle of Jericho an a, a example of intercession. When God finally was able to bring the Hebrews into the Promised Land, again, their first major battle was a biggie. This was one of the biggies. Um, Jericho was an amazing city. It, the, 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 uh, the, the city of Jericho was this major metropolis in Canaan. It was uh, a mighty fortress with a significant army, had a king, of course. And the walls were not only tall, but they were built in such a way that uh, to stop any opposing army which might try to use another new weapon of the day called the battering ram. They, opposing armies, they had this new weapon called the battering ram, and they were using it to, to uh, knock down walls, and because and, uh, they were just made out of mud, you know, mud mud brick, you know, and knock down walls, and so, but Jericho had built their city in such a way that the battering ram wouldn't do any good. It wouldn't, wouldn't help anybody uh, who was trying to conquer the city, and so... Um, Jericho was built with this superior construction uh, techniques of the day. Let me just give you a diagram. I'll I'll show you a a picture of Jericho that might help you really understand what God was up against, what the Hebrew was up against, in order to, what what the Hebrews were up against to be able to conquer this city of Jericho. The city looked like this it had two walls. This is the ancient city of Jericho, which is about nine miles from the modern city of Jericho today. But archaeologists have unearthed it, and so they they know how this this is how it looked. That actually it had two two walls. There was an outer wall, and then there was an inner wall as as well. So it was a formidable. It, it was a fortress, and uh, you can. There was some houses. There was homes built in the wall here. You can see you know around around the edges here. These are these are some homes that where people were you know were living, and um, if you look real close, the 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 outer wall here. Was sitting on top of a retaining wall right there. Can you see that right there? The, those, those are stones, and those stones are still there today. These stones are still here today. They, they, they still are still there, there today. The stones again are just a retaining wall to hold back all this earth, and they were about 15 feet tall. These these the stone retaining retaining wall. And the red brick wall here, it was, uh, let's see, it was about 20, uh, about 20 to 25 to 30 feet tall, okay? So they were, when the Israelites were down here, they were looking up, they were—they had to look up quite a ways to be able to, to see, uh, you know, the the people of Jericho, the soldiers up, up here. So we got 15 feet of retaining wall. We got, got 25 to 30 feet of red brick. And then this wall here was somewhere like 10 to 15 feet tall um, as it was guarding the, guarding the inner city. But there was homes all around, as you, as you can see. That's what they've discovered with, uh, with the ancient city, what, Jer- what Joshua and the Hebrews were up against. The walls were about six foot thick, so they, they were they were pretty pretty thick, and uh, as you can see, there were se- several several yards here that were, they were separating the walls in a lot of places. They're thinking Rahab lived someplace over here on the north side in one of these, on because uh, the Bible says she lived she lived on the wall, so she lived in one of these houses on the north side. On this first military assault of the Promised Land. Uh, the Lord commanded the Hebrews to march around the city of Jericho, you know, uh, with the Ark of the Covenant. Everything was actually against the Hebrews. Uh, Again, they had crossed the Jordan River a few weeks earlier, which had given the Canaanites time to harvest their barley. So they they had harvested all their barley. And so before the Hebrews even got there, they had plenty of water, they had plenty of food inside Jericho. I mean, they had stored up a lot of food. They weren't worried about running out of food at all. They said, you know, we're, we're shut up tight. And there was Hebrews. They can't give to us. They can't shut. They, they can't starve us. We got a water supply in here too. They're not going to be able to harm us. We're, we're, we're pretty safe. You know, we're, they, they were feeling pretty, pretty safe. And even though they had heard all that God had done for the Hebrews, they, they still felt pretty confident. Um, and these were God's instructions to Joshua. He said, the Hebrew soldiers were to all remain quiet. No one was to speak a word. There would be a front guard that would go ahead of the seven priests and the ark. Then a rear guard would follow that. And then all, then the rest of the soldiers. And the priests were going to be the only ones. They were supposed to be the only ones who would be making any noise by blowing their ram's horns as they walked around the city. They, walked, they were to march around the city one time. And they would do this for six days. And then, you know, on the seventh day, as we read, on the seventh day, they were to do the exact same thing, except they were to go around... Seven times on that seventh day, and at the conclusion of the seventh lap, the priest then would make a long blast on the on the ram's horns—a really long blast—that was a signal to the army to give up a loud shout, a loud shout to the Lord, a a war cry to the Lord. And the and the Hebrew says that the walls—it wasn't an earthquake; there was no earthquake. If there had been an earthquake, the archaeologist archeolog- ar- ar- said, we would have found the walls, they were, they'd be splattered everywhere, they'd be fallen everywhere. They only fell one direction, out. <laughs> they fell outward, all the walls. All the walls fell outward. None fell inward. And there was actually a section of the wall that didn't fall at all. It is still there today. And you know what, what section it is? That one right there. Rahab's house, because they had promised her, because she had hid the spies, she would be spared. The, the Hebrew actually says this: it says, "It says that the walls fell beneath themselves.'" And so it would look something like this. And I hope you can see this. I got got a little diagram. Oh, I'm sorry. This this is what the walls looked like. So um, again. Um, It looked like this here. This is how they found it as they dug dug it up. The walls of course have fell outward and there was a bunch of red brick down at the bottom of the retaining wall that looked like a ramp. And every Hebrew, the Bible says, went straight, went up and straight in. That's historical data there that proves that the Bible is accurate. So the walls fell outward, they all fell outward and fell down and filled up that 15-foot trench or that, that 15-foot retaining wall and the Hebrew soldiers simply walked into the city <laughs> and de- destroyed it and they burned it. They collected all of, the, all of the precious metals, you know, the gold, silver, and bronze, but they burned everything else. And one of the things that they, the archaeologists unearthed was pots and pots and pots and pots and pots, and pots of barley grain that were, was burnt but there was a lot of food stored there that the Israelites didn't touch because God said not to touch it. That's, that's how that happened. You know, and loved ones, I think the Bible, the, the battle of Jericho has many lessons of the Lord for us, but one to be sure is that God is faithful to do what He says He will do. And as we obey Him, as we persevere in what is right and as we specifically make it our purpose to glorify him and do as he says he will make the walls in people's lives he'll make their, the, the, the walls in their lives of those we love and those we intercede for he'll make them collapse I tell you I have seen God do some amazing things in the lives of people who just for years had just gone on living without him and suddenly life He God confronted them with something. God would confront them with a thought, or confront them with a tragedy, confront them with a circumstance that stopped them in their in their tracks and caused them to begin thinking about eternity, caused them to start thinking about God and about are they right in the way they're thinking? Or what if they're wrong? What if they were to die? What if they were to be you know to uh, to have to uh, leave this world uh, you know and and face God? Would they be ready? I've just seen it happen so many times. And just recently I saw it happen in the life of one of my family members. I want to encourage you today that God is able to humble those who need Him and whom He loves. I want to encourage you to keep praying specifically for those loved ones who need God to knock down the barriers that are keeping God out of their lives. Don't don't give up. Keep marching. Keep faithfully doing the the ministry of intercession. Keep blowing the ram's horns. Keep keep, uh, being ready to see God's handiwork. And like it says up there on the screen, we intercede because people in our circle of influence, they need miracles. They need to know that God is real. They need to know that the Lord is real. Not just here. They need to experience it in their soul, in their life. And that's why prayer needs to be specific. It needs, to, it, need, it needs to not be neglected because it works with our faith as we believe and it needs, to be, it needs to persevere. It needs to persevere. Father, as we leave today, as we prepare our hearts to think, uh, to uh, take in what you have shared with us today, we pray that it will just settle in, Lord, just settle upon, in upon us as we endeavor to put into practice what you're revealing to us. Lord, we need need to just trust you that you're going to teach us, each one of us. We learn differently, but we need to learn specifically how to operate in this ministry of intercession for others. Lord, you're a very patient teacher, and sometimes we're very slow learners, but you're very patient, even in our slowness. We pray today, Lord, that you would just reveal, uh, Lord, to us Re- reveal to us those, those little tidbits, those things that will help us as we walk with you every day on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, through the week, as we, as we bring to you the people we, we love. Pray that you'll share with us thoughts about them, ideas about them, things that you want for them, want to happen in their life, roadblocks that you might reveal to us that that's what's hindering them. Lord, show us, we pray. We pray that we will see people saved from their sins. We will see people healed. That we'll see the glory of God, Lord, fall upon our families. Fall upon people. We pray that people will be saved and will find the joy of the Lord in their life. We love you today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Lord bless Let's stand up together. Thank you for your kind attention today. And uh, uh, be sure to welcome somebody, or I should say, tell them you're going to pray for them, okay? Be, be sure to do that, all right?